Amen. I'll uh, invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. I have a, um, um, well, I have one thought and I have a sermon title. Past that, I don't know where I'm going. Uh, the title of tonight's message is, When Will You Be Healed? You know, one of the, uh, one of the things that, um, uh, on the subject of healing and, well, really on the subject of faith in, uh, in every area. And faith does work the same in every area. It works the same for finances. It works for healings. It works for salvations. It works for everything else. Uh, faith is the same all the way from saving faith to the special manifestations, the, the gift of what's considered to be the gift of faith or special faith as the Amplified says. Uh, faith always works the same way. Faith is believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. So whether it's saving faith that brings somebody into the kingdom of God or a manifestation of special faith by the Holy Ghost, it always works the same way. It may be working on a different level or a different measure, but it's always the same principle. Believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. Now, John chapter 5 tells us the story of one man that was healed that's, uh, that's unique, really, in Jesus' healing ministry because it identifies uh, a work that God initiated rather than, um, rather than initiated by someone that came to Jesus, for example. So let's start in chapter 5, verse 1. We'll read down through the, uh, uh, well, I don't know, ninth or 10th verse, somewhere around there. It says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. Having five porches. Um, tradition tells us that, uh, that a rich man saw that these, uh, these people were um, a number of healed and uh, a number of crippled and, um, uh, and sick folks were there. And so he built these five porches or lean-tos or shaded areas or whatever it is. We don't know how many people were there, but apparently it was some kind of, some kind of crowd. Verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. I guess they figured out the first one in got healed, or only the first one in got healed, because more than one, people, more than one person would get in, and only one person would get results. Verse 5, and a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. That's a long time for anything, isn't it? When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. And then it talks about how the Jews got all stirred up about it because Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. They didn't know it was him to begin with and found out it was him later and and so forth. Religious people always are real glad when somebody gets something. Here's what I want you to see. Here in, uh, what is it, verse 6 where it says, Wilt thou be made whole? If you look at other translations, most other translations say that Jesus asked something like this. Do you want to be well? I don't believe that's accurate. Because if, if want to be well was all that was talked about here, if Jesus is just asking him a, a simple question, first of all, it seems kind of a silly question to me. What crippled person doesn't want to be well? Is Jesus looking for him to say, oh, no, I like it this way. That's why I'm sitting here waiting for the troubling of the water. That wouldn't make sense. The fact that he's there at the place where the angel comes down every now and then, nobody knew when it was going to be or else they'd schedule it for the third, th third Tuesday or whatever, you know, the time was. He wouldn't be there unless he wanted to be well. So Jesus, in, in my opinion, is asking something more. I don't think the man would have answered, do you want to be well, by saying, sir, I have no man. I don't think he would have said, here's the reason why I can't. 
which is exactly what he's saying. When, his, when he responds, he's saying, he's giving the reason or the excuse, if you will, for why he can't be well. I mean, if the first one in, uh, it, you know, it would seem like if somebody had known this guy, and, and, and I would assume that the same people are there day after day, week after week, and so there's going to be a, some sort of little community going here of people that, that recognize each other and know. Why didn't everybody say, you know, this guy's been crippled for 38 years. Let's let him be next because everybody wants to get well. And it what, doesn't matter who you have to step on. If that's your chance to get well, you're going to step on whoever it takes and, and, and get what you can get. There must have been a mad dash for any ripple in the water by my thinking. So when he says, sir, I have no man to put me in the water. I think that Jesus is looking for something more. I think Jesus is really asking, literally, what the, what the King James translates it as, will you be made whole? I think he's looking for the man's will because your will always identifies faith. He's fi- trying to find faith. He's looking for the faith of this guy. If, if this guy, you know, again, he's, uh, he talks about his condition, he talks about his circumstance for why he can't be well. But if this guy was in better shape, perhaps... Physically, he might have been sitting on ready. I I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd have one foot in the water. But maybe people have tried that and found out that didn't work either. I don't know. I think Jesus is looking for faith. When he says, wilt thou be made whole? I think Jesus is looking for faith. Now, if that's the case, just consider this for just a moment. If that's the case, what does that tell us about this story? It tells us that Jesus doesn't know ahead of time what he's going to do. Because if Jesus knows ahead of time what he's going to do, what difference does it make what the guy says? What difference does it make what question you ask him? See, people have the idea that Jesus knew everything from the beginning. Folks, if Jesus had any greater knowledge of what's going on than you and I have access to by the Holy Ghost, then he didn't lay it aside and come to the earth to be a man. If Jesus is still operating as the all-knowing God, the creator of the universe... Then the Bible didn't tell us the truth where it says he laid aside his heavenly power and glory and came to earth as a man. It wouldn't be true where the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are. Because if he knew everything from the beginning, he wouldn't be tempted with unbelief. Well, I can hear some rusty gears turning out there now. That's true, isn't it? If Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, if he lived as a man, which is the only way he could be... If he operated as, a, as an old covenant man without sin, which the Bible says that he did, then that means he couldn't have known everything from the beginning. That means he couldn't have gotten up every day and known what the script was. It wasn't like God had a day timer, you know, day planner outlined for him. He knew he was going to go here and then he's going to go here and he's going to heal this guy. He couldn't have known that. And in fact, it looks to me like when you read the four gospels, it looks like Jesus is going from place to place more dictated his his itinerary or schedule is dictated more by the needs and the desires of people than it is him just saying here's what i'm going to do today at least many days were like that so i believe jesus is looking for faith i believe he's looking for faith now since we know that faith played a a huge role in his healing ministry of the uh, the different uh, healing events or stories that are told of us in the bible the four gospels there are 19 different cases of healing instances of healing in the four gospels we think there's more than that because of the the fact that uh, some of the gospel particularly matthew mark and luke repeat the same ones tell us different accounts give us different accounts of the same story but there if you take them apart and look at them individually you'll find that there are 19 individual cases of healing 
Of those 19 individual cases, 13 of them specifically identify the faith of the individual in play that are healed. Of the ones that are left, the six that are left, two for a total of 15 imply either through actions or through the words that the people speak, faith of the individual in operation too, although faith is not mentioned in those extra two. Well, if we assume those numbers are accurate, and, and, the, and, and I believe the Holy Ghost gives us a complete account, we know there had to be more than 19 people that were healed in Jesus' ministry. The Bible talks about the multitudes that were healed. But I'm talking about, the, and it doesn't include the groups like the 10 lepers and so forth. But outside of the groups, there were 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. Now, why only 19? John said that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world couldn't contain the books. Well, then why do we only have 19 cases of healing? Why don't we have 50? Why don't we have 500? Why? Surely there were more more cases of healing that were even known about than the ones the Holy Ghost inspired the writers of the Gospels to, to tell us about. Well, I think we have to go as much by what the Bible doesn't say as by what it does. Consequently, I think the 19 individual cases of healing give us a total picture of Jesus' healing ministry, if not every account of healing or every instance of healing that took place. I mean, there's no way that you could tell us that the Holy Ghost could uh, uh, recount through anybody every case of healing, is there? So they'd have to cut it off somewhere. So where did he cut it off? Well, apparently he cut it off in the place that gives us a total picture of Jesus' healing ministry. Now, the total picture of Jesus' healing ministry, this is the only time where Jesus goes in and winds up doing something independent of, a, of the faith of the individual where it's obvious that the person is not believing in any sense whatsoever. There are other cases where the faith of the individual is not mentioned, but you can see a little smattering of it. Here's a case where Jesus initiates something on his own, yet he first looks for faith. He first looks for faith. Well, if, uh, if, uh, uh, if you do the numbers, uh, 15 out of 19 is about 70 to 75% of the the cases of healing that we have record of, if 70 to 75% of the people that were healed in Jesus' ministry that we do have the record of were healed on their own faith or the operation of faith, then we would recognize that faith is a very, very important thing in healing ministry today. I mean, I wouldn't expect to get greater results on my faith than Jesus got on his. And there are places where the Bible says that Jesus was hindered from doing miracle works or healing works because of the unbelief of the people. Now that cuts across most people's idea of how Jesus operated too. Most people think Jesus was here on the earth as the Son of God and healed because he was the Son of God. Well, if that's the case, he could have healed whether people believed or not. He never would have been hindered by somebody's unbelief. Yet Mark chapter 6 is a good example of verse 5 where it says in his hometown of Nazareth he could there. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he could there do no mighty work, save or except he laid his hands on a few sickly folks, people with minor ailments, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, why couldn't Jesus do something even though he was the son of God in Nazareth? Because of their unbelief. So if unbelief hindered Jesus, then who's going to stand up and say that unbelief won't hinder them today? Are you with me? Now, I know we talk about these things a lot, and so forgive me if I've gone over them quickly. If you haven't been here with us, then it may seem like we've covered it quickly. But but we talk about this stuff a lot. And rightly so. Because faith on the part of the individual is necessary. That's why we talk so much about healing. That's why we talk so much about what Jesus has done for us. Because Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's what Jesus tried to counteract the unbelief of Nazareth with. He went through their synagogues teaching. Why? Because he wanted them to hear. Why did he want them to hear? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Okay, so we've got a guy that Jesus looks for faith. Jesus apparently, I have to make an assumption here, Jesus assumes that if he's going to help this guy, he's going to help him because of his own faith. But he finds that the guy doesn't have any faith. He finds out that the guy doesn't say anything. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can always tell where somebody's faith is by the words that they speak. Because that is the pillar of faith, to believe in the heart and say with the mouth. So Jesus asks this guy, will you be made whole? And he says, I can't be. Well, that's not faith on any level. He said, I don't have a man. Well, if you had a man, that doesn't ensure you're still going to be the first one in the water. What if the guy next to you has got a stronger man? A quicker man. There's no guarantee, is there? So what he's doing is he's saying, I can't be healed. I want to be. Sure, I want to be. That's why I'm here. But I can't be healed. Maybe this guy's praying every day that he'll be the only one when the angel shows up. I don't know. But he answers Jesus and says, I can't be. I can't be. So what does Jesus do? Jesus initiates something on his own, or I should say by the Holy Ghost, not uh, uh, initiates it uh, from Jesus' part. Jesus said the works that he did, he didn't do of himself. So it's the Holy Ghost in him that initiates a healing work to point everybody in this situation away from the angel troubling the water to the man that God sent to the earth. It says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Are you aware of how many times that the Bible talks about according to your will be it done unto you? So what's the first thing Jesus asked? Jesus asked what this man's will is. Will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? Well, I guess we could ask the same question of ourselves. Will you be made whole? But I want to take it a step further. If I ask the question, will you be made whole, is there anybody that wouldn't say yes? Okay, then let me take it to another step. When? When? Boy, we're, we're tough on when, aren't we? When's a tough question to answer. Because Romans, uh, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 1, talking about the, the, the uh, definition of faith, says, Now then, faith is the subject of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We know the difference between faith and hope. Hope says someday something's going to happen. Faith says, I have it now. Faith says, I have it now. Turn with me over to, uh, to Matthew chapter 8. Let me show you a couple of examples here. Matthew chapter 8. Here's the story of the centurion. We know the story pretty well. We talk about it a lot. It's a great example of a man's faith and how we can develop faith as well. Let's start in verse 5. Matthew 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. I like the original Greek on this. It doesn't say, I will come and heal him. It says, having come, I will heal. Having come. Jesus is not just talking about going to his house. He's saying, having come to the earth, I will heal. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou should come under my, my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority. Here's how he knew and had confidence in Jesus healing his servant from afar. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. What's the key to great faith? 
understanding authority. The reason this man had great faith is he understood how authority works. If he tells his servants or the centurions that he's um, the captain over, the band of 100 soldiers that he's the captain over, if he tells them to do something, he doesn't have to check behind them. He knows they did it. Why? Because they respect his authority. They don't have a choice in the matter. They follow orders. That's what he says he understands about Jesus and Jesus' relationship with sickness. He knows Jesus has authority over sickness just like he has authority over his soldiers and his servants. So he says, speak the word only. My servant shall be healed. Jesus marvels at this. He said, I have found this kind of faith in all of Israel. He goes further and says in verse 11, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, means Gentile nations, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, meaning the Jews, Israelites, shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is very clearly making a distinction between being born of the right group, a descendant of Abraham, in other words, and having faith. He said, faith is what sits you at the table, not your heritage. And Jesus said unto the centurion, verse 13, Go your way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto you. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Notice Jesus did not say, I rebuke this sickness over your servant in the name of the Father. Notice Jesus did not say a word to the sickness. He did not say anything except, you can go home now, and as you have believed, so be it done to you. What do we know he believed? We know from what he said what he believed for. All he needed was Jesus to say the word. And the word Jesus said was, as you have believed, so be it done unto you. What does the man come for? He's come for healing. So Jesus very simply says, as you have believed or as you, have, as you will, so it be it done unto you. Now, in this case, Jesus doesn't have to ask the guy, will you or your servant be made whole? He volunteers. He didn't come up with an excuse. Now, if you look at uh, uh, the other gospel accounts of this, it starts off a little bit differently. It doesn't start off with a centurion coming to him. It starts off with the Jews coming to Jesus in Capernaum saying, this guy is a good guy. He's helped us build the synagogue here in town. And remember the Old Testament promise that God made to Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you. He's worthy of your help. Matthew leaves all that out. I think it's Luke that points that out. This guy, on the other hand, as opposed to the man in John chapter 5 that's come up with a good excuse and had this excuse for a long time for why he can't get healed, simply says, I understand how authority works, and I know you have authority over sickness. A man can't do the things that you're doing unless he has authority over sickness. He doesn't stop to say, I don't know where you got it. He doesn't stop to try to figure out what the cause of it is or the source of it or anything else. He just says, I know you've got authority over sickness. Now, why doesn't he stop to try to figure out the rest? See, that's where people get bogged down. They start trying to think through things that aren't any of their business. Well, how's this going to work? I don't know. Well, Pastor Mike, when you lay hands on me, what's going to happen? I don't know. Well, I I need to understand. Do you really? Is that the necessary ingredient? Faith says I trust God. And folks, nobody has all the answers when it comes to faith or the operation of the power of God. If you did have all the answers to it, then it would make you God because it would be under your control, not under God's. He doesn't stop to question that. You know why? Because he's a man under authority. He knows what to question and what not to question. 
And he simply recognizes that Jesus has authority. And so Jesus said, as you have believed, so be it done unto you. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, let's start reading in verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Anytime you see the phrase, Thou son of David, that's a Messiah reference. That's somebody acknowledging, I believe you're the one that was spoken of that would be born of the house of David, the Messiah, the Redeemer. And there were a lot of promises about the Redeemer as far as healing in his wings and so forth. So when anybody comes to Jesus and says, Thou son of David, have mercy on me, that's them saying, I believe you're the Messiah, sent from God. That's faith. That's the expression of faith. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And when he was coming to the house, didn't even stop to talk to him. When he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. I'm sure that wasn't a real easy proposition either. But they came to him and Jesus said unto them. Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, oh, you of great faith. Here you blind people have found your way, stumbled all of your, the way until you found me. I know you know that I'm the Messiah because what you said is I passed by. He didn't say any of that. He asked them something specific. He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Now, folks, now why, why would Jesus do this? This can't be a pattern for healing. Because if it was a pattern for healing, Jesus would have asked everybody that ever came to him for healing, do you believe I can do this? So why these guys? Jesus must have been operating by the inward witness of the Holy Ghost, just like we're expected to, and recognize the missing piece for these guys is the fact or the the question of whether or not they think that I can do this. Now, do you realize that people can be in a situation long enough to where they're not sure if God can anymore? In my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but in my opinion, I think that's the reason why the Bible tells us how long people had their stuff. Over and over and over again, it tells us how long. Why? Because the longer you have something, the more faith it takes to believe that things can change. Because if you've had something all your life from birth or, you know, however long it may be for a long time, the longer you've had something, the more the devil can chip away at your confidence that God really can do this. I personally believe that's the situation in Mark chapter 9 with the father that brings his son to Jesus to cast the devil out of him. He's possessed of the devil or demonized, really, the, the scripture says. The disciples try to cast the devil out of this little boy and they can't do it. By the time Jesus gets there, the father cries out and says, have compassion on us. And if you can do anything, help us. Well, why would he ask if Jesus can do anything? If he doesn't believe Jesus can do something, why did he come to Jesus to begin with? Is he just desperate? I can understand how a father would be desperate in that case. But is that it? Is he just desperate trying for something? Well, Jesus knows unless he can change the man's position. And he says, he calls him an unbelieving generation. He says that he doesn't have any faith. And then he turns around after the man says, if you can do anything, Jesus turns back with a sarcastic response and says, if I can. Like as far as Jesus is concerned, that's not a question. Why should it be a question for the guy? Well, I'll tell you the answer to that. The reason it's a question for the man is not only has it been this way for his, child, uh, for his son since he was a little child, but secondly, he's brought him to the apostles who claimed to have healing power, who Jesus had to give healing and delivering power to, and they couldn't help him. At this point, this guy's head's probably spinning. 
That brings me to another thought. It's a side thought, but it's another thought. The more you're prayed for without results, the more injurious it is to your faith. Because every time, here's the danger for people coming to have hands laid on them or coming to be prayed for again and again and again. Because every time, if there's no results, it chips away at their faith. The devil will use it the next time and say, well, you've been prayed for 25 times now. Why is 26 going to be any different? Apparently, that's where these guys are, in my estimation. Again, you judge this for yourself. If I'm reading something into the scripture, then don't take my word for it at all. But something causes Jesus to ask these guys, do you believe that I can? Do you believe I'm able to do this? That was one of the things that the Bible talks about Abraham. After 25 years of not having the child of promise. It says Abraham was strong in faith. In Romans chapter 4 verse 20. Abraham was strong in faith. Two, two characteristics of his strong faith. Number one, giving glory to God. Number two, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Why is God's ability spoken of there as far in relation to Abraham's faith? Because it's been 25 years since the first promise was made. 25 years is a long time to go without anything. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's... Well, it's not a bad translation, but where it talks about the heart sick, it really means broke, it makes a broken spirit. Hope deferred makes a broken spirit. Oh, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. So Jesus asked these guys, do you believe that I'm able to do this? In my thinking, that means he recognizes that that's a question. Now, how do you exercise or how do you identify faith being exercised through the words somebody speaks? So if Jesus, who has more experience and more knowledge about faith, the necessity of faith in order to receive healing, and the, the operation of unbelief stopping the healing power of God that he knows is, is upon him, who would know that better than him? Since he has the experience that he has, he knows that he's got to get faith exercised in this area of ability in order to do what it is that they need done. So he asked him, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yeah, Lord, we do. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean they've been jumping up and down all day saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and I believe God can do this? What does that mean? It means they chose to believe and express that belief by the words of their mouth. It doesn't mean they don't have a doubt in their mind. It doesn't mean that there's not a thought that comes to their head. Well, do I really believe that or not? See, people tie themselves up in knots about what they believe. It's always fascinating me when people say, come to me and say, well, Pastor Mike, I don't know if I'm in faith about this or not. Well, then who's going to know? And I think it's because people have a wrong idea of what faith is. People think, seem to have the idea that faith means you never have a thought of doubt come against you. Faith means there's no question whatsoever. I'm convinced, fully convinced, absolutely persuaded, no question about it, no thought, no, no nothing. I just know that I know that I know that I know. Well, folks, there are ways that you can develop that kind of faith, but very few people start in that, in that place at all. These guys sure aren't there. They can't be. No way. So when Jesus asked, the father in Mark chapter 9 that turns his unbelief into faith, Jesus said, 
It's not a matter of what I can do. It's a matter of what you can believe. What is the father's response? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's certainly not great faith. But he gives Jesus enough to work with by saying, Lord, I believe. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, should we say things like that when we really aren't sure if we are believing? Folks, remember, faith is the evidence of what you can't see. The words coming out of your mouth, Lord, I believe, is a choice based on what the Word says, based on what the Bible tells us about the power of God and Jesus' willingness, not according to how you feel. The only reason that people question whether or not they're in faith is because they're looking at their feelings. I'm not sure I feel like I'm in faith. That has nothing to do with anything. Faith says, I believe, even when doubt is bombarding in your mind. And that's real Bible faith. Wigglesworth said something. He said, when I feel the strongest in faith, that's when I'm the weakest. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to feel strong in faith. There are times where after hearing the word or hearing, uh, I listen to Brother Hagin on uh, um, my iPod a lot. There are a lot of times after hearing Brother Hagin preach, I feel like I could charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. I like that feeling. But I got to tell you, that feeling has nothing to do with reality. It's just a feeling. And it'll change from day to day, hour to hour. Real faith, Wigglesworth said, or when I, let me finish the quote. He said, when I feel like I'm strongest in faith, that's when I'm the weakest because I'm going by my feelings. But when I feel the weakest in faith, that's when I'm the strongest because all I have to rely on is the written word of God. And that's Bible faith. So when Jesus asked these guys, do you believe I'm able to do this? The greatest faith they can express is not some feeling, not some strong, not some boisterous something or other. Just simply to say, yeah, Lord, we do. That's it. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Notice he didn't command the eyes to be open. Doesn't Jesus have authority over blindness? Yeah. But notice how he operated. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of these blind guys and didn't feel real strong in faith, that might strike terror into my heart. Oh, no. Really? I was coming for you to do your power thing. But they're on good ground because they express faith from their heart, not based on how they felt, but on what they'd heard about Jesus. They said that he's the Messiah, thou son of David, have mercy on us. They claim to believe he's the Messiah. Well, the Messiah should be able to do this, shouldn't he? If he's sent from God, he should be able to do this. And that's why Jesus asked, do you believe I can? Yeah, we do. Why? Because they chose to believe that he was sent from heaven. So he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightway charged them, saying, see that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all the country. Turn with me over to Matthew 15. Let me show you another example. Verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Here's the Messiah phrase again. Thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. Now, you need to know something, folks. The fact that he's in the coast of Tyre and Sidon and she's a woman of Canaan means she is not of of the Jewish race. At least she's not purebred Jew. 
She's probably the, the child of uh, a Jewish person that is intermarried with a Gentile race. And that's why Jesus doesn't answer her. He goes further and tells us later, in verse 24, he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which tells us she doesn't meet that criteria. See, there was an Old Testament commandment that the Jews should not intermarry. It's not because God's a racist. It was a, an example. Remember, the Old Testament is types and shadows. It's an example or an illustration, an Old Testament illustration, how that a little bit of sin leavens the whole lump. A little bit of leaven, a little bit of sin leavens the whole life. It's an indication that God didn't want the Jews to intermarry with other races of people, other peoples that he didn't have a covenant with that were worshiping idols because they would then turn, make Israel, the tribe of Israel, idol worshipers. It had nothing to do with racism. In fact, one of the first things that happens in Acts chapter 10 is when Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter has this vision of all kinds of animals in the sheet being let down from heaven, clean and unclean animals, and the Lord said, rise, slay, and eat. Peter argues with that. He says, no, no, I can't eat anything unclean. And Jesus speaks from heaven and says, call not thou unclean what I have cleansed. Peter finds out later on after he goes down to Cornelius' house that what this meant was God has cleansed all races of people by his blood to receive himself. Now it's not a matter of who intermarries or interracial marriage or anything like that. It's not a matter of any of those things. It's, it was a type, the Old Testament was a type of Israel staying pure from sin, the sin of other people. Are you out there? But at this point in time, the only covenant in place is not the covenant that comes as a result of Jesus' sacrifice because he hadn't been sacrificed yet. It's the covenant of Abraham. And it's still the Old Testament commandment to not intermarry among other races of people, idol worshipers, to take upon their sin and their gods to themselves. That's still in effect. So Jesus answers the woman and says, I'm only sent to the Jews and you're not of them. But what does she do? Her response, verse 25, then came she and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. You want to know what get God's, gets God's attention? Worshipping him. Her worshipping him crossed the boundaries, the racial, the ethnic boundaries, the tribal lines that the old covenant was based on. Notice what she says. She says, Lord, help me. Jesus knows what his blood is going to do. Jesus knows that his blood is going to make salvation available to everybody. And Jesus just accelerates the process because of her faith exercised or, or demonstrated by worshiping him. But he answered her and said, it is not meat, verse 26, to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Please notice that healing and deliverance is the children's bread. In other words, the possession of the children of God. Has that changed? How many of you are children of God? Guess what belongs to you? Healing is still the children's bread. It is not right or meat or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Notice that she builds her argument based on what he says. She's pleading her case.
Why didn't she stop right there and said, you know, I knew that you were a hard hearted person. Why didn't she start telling about how unfair it was that God sent somebody to the Jews and left her out? Well, she understood something about the mercy of God. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, verse 28, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you, even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Over and over again, it talks about, there are other examples we could use as well. Over and over again, it talks about how Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Or be it unto you, even as you will. Your will has everything to do with your healing. Your will has everything to do with your healing. Now turn with me finally over to Mark chapter 5. I didn't expect to spend this much time laying the groundwork. But then again I didn't know where I was going anyway. So, Mark chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. And had suffered many things of many physicians. And had spent all she had. And was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus. Came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said. Verse 28 is the key to the story. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt. Notice she didn't feel anything until after she acted on what she believed. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, King James says virtue is literally the word power. It's the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite from. The power had gone out of him. Turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? In other words, he's saying, they're saying their response is, Everybody that can touch you is touching you. What do you mean, who touched you? Who didn't? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, verse 34, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Please put verse 28 together with verse 34. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. How do we know it was her faith? Because she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. This is part of the story that she relates to Jesus. This is how Mark knows to write it. Because it was reported What happened when Jesus said, who touched me, found who she was. She told him the story, told him all the truth. She told him about having heard of him, coming to touch him because of what she said. Matthew says in uh, Matthew chapter 9, it says that she said within herself. Either way, Luke also, Luke chapter 8 tells us the story, but doesn't say anything about what she says. So she said, if I can touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Here's what I want you to understand, folks. And that's the, this is the whole key. To the the premise of when will you be healed. Everybody has to have a point. Where they say it's done. Now it's mine. Without that. You'll be in hope forever and not faith. She said if I can touch but his clothes I shall be whole. She said if I can touch his clothes I'll be whole. In other words her point. Where it's hers. Is when she lays hands on him. Now, you have every right to do the same thing she did. You can say, if I can just touch Jesus, I'll be whole. And in one sense or another, 
That's what a lot of people are doing. Because they're leaving it up to God. If Jesus appears, if Jesus does something supernatural or miraculous or something out of the ordinary to make contact with me, then I know that I'll be well. Well, the problem with that is you might be waiting for the rapture. Because there's no guarantee. There's no assurance that Jesus is going to show up for you. In physical form, at least. But everybody has to have a point where they say, now it's mine. Look with me over to Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus, describing faith, said this. Well, maybe we ought to start in verse 22. This is after Jesus has cursed the fig tree and the disciples bring it to his attention the next day. It's dried up from the roots. Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Verse 22. Verse 23 says, for whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Talking about the words you speak in relation to faith. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, not say anything contrary because of what he sees or feels. But shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. In other words, faith is based on the understanding of the principle that you'll have what you say, that your words will come to pass. Now, what evidence do we have that our words will come to pass? There's only one, and that is what God said. Nobody starts off as a child and says, wow, what I just said happened. So now I know how it works. The only evidence there is of that is what God said. It's the principle. God from the beginning said, according to the words that you speak in my ears, that's the way that I'm going to deal with you. So that's the foundation for believing that your words will come to pass, just because the Bible says it will. That's what believing in the heart means. It means believing independent of your five physical senses. Because there is no, none of the five physical senses that will tell you what you say will happen. Most of your five physical senses will tell you no matter what you say, things are going to go the way they're going to go. Verse 24 then goes a little bit further, talking about faith in prayer. Therefore I say unto you, Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, Please notice the word when. When you pray. Because when is always the issue for people. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Notice he's talking about time in two different places. The shall have them means it'll come after you believe. Now how long after? We don't know. Here's the deal. There is no way that I can control when I shall have what I believe for. No way. It's outside of my control. There's nothing I can do to hasten it, speed it up. There are things I can do to push it away, push it farther from me. And that is to doubt in my heart, nullify my faith through unbelief. But I can't determine how long it's going to be. Well, what can I determine? I can determine the when I believe I receive. That's the only thing that I have any control of when it comes to time. I control when I believe I receive. When did Jesus say to believe that you receive? When you pray. Now you don't have to do that. It won't work if you do, if you don't. But you don't have to do that. But Jesus said, here's your part where time is concerned. When you pray, that's time. Believe that you receive. Meaning the things you desire. And the end result is God will see to it that you have them. 
That part's God's problem. Now, let me ask you a question. It is just as much uh, a detriment to receiving healing for somebody to fail to believe they receive when they pray as it is if somebody has the idea that it's going to take forever to happen. In other words, since we see over and over again Jesus ministering to people according to what they believed or according to their own faith or according to what they will, then the question has to be asked, when will you receive? When will you have the healing you believe for? Do we, do we imply, do we leave the implication that Mark eleven twenty four? therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, believe that you receive them, and 20 years from now you'll have them? How about five years from now? How long does it take to receive? How long does it take for God to do his end? Hold up his end of things and see that you have it. See, here's one danger that I think that we do, and, and, and of course it's not uh, on purpose, but one of the dangers of teaching faith, focusing on faith over and over again, faith, 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 is that so often because faith is believing in what you can't see, faith is holding out, holding on to your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, because we talk about the time element that you can't believe for immediate results in every situation, or else if somebody has their faith on that, then if they don't get immediate results, and you won't always, then they'll lose heart. And release their hold on, on the things of God altogether. But right on the other hand. If we're leaving the impression that it's going to take a long, 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 long time. And boy, you know. There are very few people that are ever really going to see results. Because you may die before you get them. Because you're holding out in faith. And so, that's not right. Folks, it's not God's will for it to take something five years for you to get it. How would that glorify Jesus? Remember, we've been studying on uh, Sunday mornings on the name of Jesus. One of the things Jesus said is, The works that I do, John 14, 12, um, Verily I say unto you, that believeth on me, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and even greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall call for, ask is King James, Call for, require, or demand in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How does it glorify God for everybody in the church to be believing for 50 years? For their healing to, to, to become a material reality. How does that glorify God? Have I lost you? How does that glorify God? How does it glorify God for us to lay hands on people, call up people that need hands laid on them for healing, lay hands on them and say, okay, believe that you receive. Now, if you don't have it in three or four years, just keep believing because that will let everybody know the power in the name of Jesus. How does that work? Now, there may be some unique situations, but they're going to be few and far between. For example, I know that Wigglesworth, who was used in, in miracles and, and stuff like that, Wigglesworth had kidney stones for three years before he passed them. He would pray and agonize and, and, and trust God day after day after day for three years before he passed those kidney stones. Part of it was his own doing because he swore. He just said up and down, I, the, there's no physician's knife, scalpel, surgeon's scalpel that will touch my body. Well, maybe he could have gained relief if he hadn't taken that position. I don't know. I'm not saying he did wrong. That wouldn't be for me to judge. But there are some unique situations 
where a person's faith is going to delay over a period of time, but there's always going to be a reason behind it. But how many times do we see Jesus, even like with the ten lepers, say, go show yourself to the priest, and then six months later come back and see that they're still showing themselves to the priest? That wouldn't make sense, would it? Yet Jesus said we'd do the same works that he did. So shouldn't we be getting more results or the same kind of results Jesus got if we're going to do the same works that he did? Why don't we? I think in many cases we've conditioned people to not expect to receive. They believe that they receive, but they don't expect the God part to be a reality very quickly. The part that Jesus said, and you shall have them. Why? Well, there's all kinds of excuses people will make. Most of the time from the minister's standpoint, they'll blame it on the people and say, well, you must not have enough faith. I hate that. I've always hated that. I've never once told anybody they didn't have enough faith. I've told my staff 50 times if I've told them once, if I ever catch any of you ever telling anybody in our church that they don't have enough faith, you're fired. Because even if that was the case, that's none of our business. Our job is what Jesus did, follow his example, and that is to teach so that people can believe. Beyond that, it's not up to them, it's not, it's not up to us, it's not up to us to judge, it's between them and God. But the, how many times do we see that? And so what do we do? We keep laying hands on people time after time after time after time. And every time, it chips away at the confidence that they have. It chips away at their expectancy. That's not the way it's supposed to be, folks. That's not the way it's supposed to be at all. Have I lost you? Now, maybe this is just the way God's dealing with me. And if this doesn't bear witness with your heart, please throw it out. Don't take my word for anything. But I don't see people having to wait for extended periods of time. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean everything's going to be an instant result. Jesus said, these signs will follow them to believe. The last one in my name, the last one on the list, the, the fifth one on the list of five is, they'll lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover, not be instantly healed. He said the sick will recover. But how long is the recovery process? Wouldn't it be silly for us to lay hands on somebody and then two years down the road then recover and say, yeah, it worked. Shouldn't the recovery be close enough to where they're associated with the hands being laid on them? Now, folks, I'm just being real with you here. I don't have the answers to everything. But I know this. I know I'm developing a greater expectancy for results than I've ever had. When will you be healed? There has to be a point where somebody says it's mine. I have it now. Now in my own situation. I can't control the, when I shall have it. But I can control when I believe I receive. Now for me the when I believe I receive is when I prayed. Just like Mark eleven twenty four says. I believe I received my healing. When I prayed I believed I received my healing. That means I continue to believe I received my healing. I believe it's at work even now, even though we can't see it. It's mine. It's just in invisible form. It's just as real as when you can see it in material reality. It's just as real. It's just invisible. Faith focuses on things you can't see. That means the invisible. So all I can do 
is hold on to the fact that I believe that I received my healing. Healing is mine. It's mine now. It's not going to be mine when I see it. It's mine now because Jesus paid for it. But I've got a promise from God that I shall have it. Is there anything that I can do to speed up the shall having it? I don't know. I'm doing everything I know to figure it out. All I can tell you at this point is that I know that I shall have it. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Mike? Because Jesus said so. Do you know that because the doctor says it's getting better? No, as a matter of fact, he doesn't say it's getting better. He says it's getting worse. Well, what do you say about that, Pastor Mike? I kind of laugh at that. That's just like the devil to try to raise his head up. But the word of God is still true. I believe I received my healing. And Jesus said, I shall have it. But I tell you, I'm not going another year with this. Well, what if God wants it to be another year? Why would he? I remember, I'll close with this. I remember there's a situation, uh, well, it was years ago. I'd have to stop and figure out how long ago it was. Maybe um, 15 years ago, maybe longer than that. There was something that the church was facing, a financial crisis that the church was facing. And I'd been believing for some time and, and it just over and over and over again. It was a, a lot of money relative to the church building fund and, and that kind of stuff. And, and the devil, man, he was just beating us. That was a bad year. He was beating us one side and down the other, up one side, down the other. Every time we'd get something paid, something else would come. Just constant pressure day after day after day. But there was this one thing that cost a lot of money, half a million dollars. And... Um, and I believe that I received it, and, and I was thanking God for it every day, confessing what the Bible says, giving God glory for it, and so forth. One day I was doing that, and, and I normally do that in the shower. Shower is a place where I am alone with God. There's nobody else around. So I'm alone with God and, and do whatever I do as far as praying or confessing or singing or whatever. And, and uh, I can clear a bathroom out pretty quick by singing. And... Um, so I was in the shower, and all of a sudden something came on me. Now, I don't know if it was just me. I don't know if it was something that God brought on me. I, I don't know the answer. I, I wish I could tell you more specifically. I just don't know. But something came on me, and I just got mad. I just got flat mad. I wouldn't even call it a righteous anger. It was the devil I was mad at. I knew he was the problem. But I just got mad. And I just sputtered and said, I was in the middle of my confession for this thing that I've been believing for. And I said, devil, I have had all I'm going to take from you. I believe that this is done now. Well, by the end of the day, it was in. Now, you tell me, what caused that? It seems to me like if it was God telling me that today's the day, I wouldn't have had to get mad about it. I would have just had a knowing, an inward knowing or a witness or something. Today's the last day. And then instead of being mad, I would have just rejoiced about it. But folks, I got to tell you, I just got mad. I've been mad enough to know what mad is. I just got mad. And I told the devil, I've had it. This is it. This is the last day that I'm going to deal with this. And it was. Well, you know as well as I do what happened from that day on. I started trying to get mad about everything. And it didn't work. One of the scriptures that's always impressed me is that the Bible talks about those that came to Jesus that were sick of the policy. It doesn't say sick with the policy. It says sick of the policy. I think a lot of times we need to get sick of our situations. 
God doesn't want you to believe for healing forever. He wants you to be willing to. But he doesn't want it to last that long. He doesn't want it to take that long. The name of Jesus is more powerful than that. I want you to think on that. I want you to meditate on that. How long does God want you to go with this? I guarantee you, you start talking to him about it, and he'll say he's wondering how long you're going to put up with it. Because healing is yours now. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's ours. Thank you that the promises, the blessings, all the, the information that Jesus that it gives us about what Jesus has done for us belongs to us now. Father, you know that there are a lot of people, including me, that are in the position where we believe we receive our healing. You know that your word says that if we believe that we receive our healing when we pray, that we shall have it. Now, Father, we put a demand in the name of Jesus for us to have the healing. We've done our part. We know you're faithful to do yours. If there's something we need to correct, then show us so we can correct it today. If there's an adjustment to be made, Father, every one of us is willing to adjust. Father, Jesus said we would use his name, require and make demands on his name, that you, our Heavenly Father, would be glorified in the Son. We recognize the importance of developing patience, adding experience to our faith. Father, we get all those things. But we desire to glorify you by bearing fruit, the fruit that you said that we were to bear, the results of acting on the name of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you that healing is ours now. We thank you that you're working in a supernatural and even a miraculous way to see that we have our healing soon. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed. <laughs>